Good morning and welcome, church. It's always a joy to picture you in my mind that you're there watching and worshiping, and it is a joy to be with you. This morning, I want to say a few words about the crisis of our time, and that's the title of the message. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter. And in a few minutes, we'll begin reading with verse 25, Matthew chapter 6. So the first thing I'd like to do today is just talk for a moment about the situation. The situation. We're watching the news. We're having conversations. We're trying our best to keep up with what's happening without allowing it to inundate our hearts and our minds, and certainly if you sit in front of the news all day long, it can tend to be very discouraging. But I do hope you're keeping up with what's going on. So I want to talk about the situation for a moment. We've not experienced anything like this since at least the Spanish flu of 1918-1919. Just by comparison, you might be interested to know that During those two years, there were half a billion people who were infected with the Spanish flu. And at that time, that was one-third of the world's population. So that in itself gives you an idea of how serious it was. But this will help you to appreciate the severity of it even more. The death toll worldwide was somewhere between 20 and 100 million victims. Now, you say, well, that's a wide disparity, and certainly it is, but you have to remember that communication and record-keeping was not in 1918 what it is today. So the most conservative estimates are that 20 million people died, and there are other estimates that say it was as high as 100 million people. 1918 was in the middle of the, in fact, the height of World War I. And in 1918, more U.S. soldiers died from the Spanish flu than died in combat in that year. I have some figures to share with you. Now, this is being videoed on Thursday. So by the time you hear it on Sunday, the figures will have gone up. But I am sharing with you the latest figures from about one hour ago. Worldwide, there are 2,813,226 confirmed cases of the coronavirus. And there have been worldwide 140,773 deaths. In the United States, uh, the figure is 646,788 confirmed cases of the coronavirus with 31,590 deaths. And in Texas, there have been 15,492 confirmed cases and 368 deaths as of about one hour ago on Thursday. We're practicing physical distancing. We are, most businesses have been closed. Most travel has been eliminated. Our medical Heroes are on the front line. This is, uh, in, a, in a sense, a war. But instead of troops with guns on the front lines, we have doctors and nurses and LVNs and lab technicians and all of our wonderful medical personnel who are right on the front lines. 
uh, of this of this battle. Our first responders are right in the thick of it as they have to respond to emergencies, not knowing when they go to a house, will they be treating a person who is a victim of the virus or, or not, and they have to prepare as if they are. Uh, churches have been closed. We have been closed at First Baptist Belton since Friday, March the 13th. Our economy has been devastated. And yet at the same time, we are finding this to be a time of unprecedented opportunity, often because of technology and finding that there are things we're able to do to broadcast the gospel that we had not thought to do prior to March the 13th. The question a lot of folks are asking, when will we reopen? When will culture reopen? When will the church reopen? When will businesses reopen? And at this point, only God knows the answer to that question of when and how it it will happen. We know for our church that camps and mission trips and other summer activities that were scheduled for June, July, and August have either been canceled or postponed. And those that have been postponed have no absolute certainty that they will actually take place. But for the moment, they have been postponed rather than canceled. So how do we respond to this crisis in which we find ourselves, and I would term it the crisis of our time. So this is where I'd like to read scripture this morning and then ask you to keep your Bibles open because I'll be referring to several other verses. But let's read from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. And this is actually part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he said. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And indeed, how true that is. So we've read the scripture. We thought about the situation. So next, I want us to think about what I'm calling the prior decisions. And there are three things that I want to share with you right now. And I want to ask you, if you've not already made these three decisions, that you will make these three decisions now. And having made them, then you will be prepared not only for the crisis in which we find ourselves, the crisis of our time, but future crises that may come into your life or even into the lives of, of the life of our entire culture. So make this decision ahead of time. I will, 
and then I'll share with you what they are. Don't wait next time until you're in the middle of the crisis. Decide now so that spiritually you'll be ready. So here are the three prior decisions. The first is this. I will remember God's character. I will remember God's character. Listen to the words of faithfulness in the verses that we just read in Matthew chapter 26. Words like, I know what you need and I will provide it and I care for you and you don't need to worry because I am with you and your heavenly father is looking after you. And all through that passage permeated there are the words of the faithfulness of our God. So I will remember God's character. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is great in his faithfulness. We read that in scripture and one of our favorite hymns is great is thy faithfulness. What do I know about God and who he is? What do I know about his character? Well, I know he's holy and I know he's just and that means he will always do the right thing. I know about his faithfulness. He is a faithful God. He is a God of love because he loves you and he loves me. He is tenacious because the scripture says he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so he stays with us and and after us. He is steadfast. He is true. He is consistent. Thus we can know what he's done in the past in our lives. He will do again. So as we reflect we think about and remember the character of God on the basis of what I know from Scripture, on the basis of what I know as God has touched my heart and my life and and changed me from the inside out. What do I know about the character of God? I will remember the character of God. Now, the second I will is this. I will trust God's will. I will trust God's will. Sometimes we have to say that not knowing what his will is going to be for us. Sometimes we know what his will is for us because it's revealed to us in Scripture. We know he wants us to be faithful and obedient to him. We know he wants us to read his word. We know he wants us to pray and have fellowship with him. We know that he wants us to minister to the needs of others and and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. That's in Scripture. We know all of that. And so we will trust in God's will, but sometimes we have to say that up front, not knowing exactly what God's will is going to be for us, for our family, for our church, and even for our our culture. But we come to this decision, His will is best. And I accept that. His will is best. And in obedience to His will We know that he will be glorified and we will be blessed. Now, I don't know if I'm going to catch the virus. You don't know if you're going to catch the virus. I don't know personally, will I be affected or or worse yet, will a member of my family catch the virus or will somebody in the church that I love with all my heart catch the virus? I don't know. But I remember this, he loves me and he loves you. And the proof of that 
is all around us, but the chief proof of that is that he has given his son Jesus to die on the cross and to arise from the grave that we might be saved. And then I remember also the words of Romans 8.28, and in all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So I know God's will is for my good and for his glory. And we see the promises of the text that we read in Matthew chapter 6. All those promises of I will take care of you, I'll meet your needs, I'll provide everything that you need. And so you and I can say in advance, I will trust God's will, whatever that may be. Then the third thing that we can say in advance is, I will keep my eyes on Jesus. I will keep my eyes on Jesus. We remember the words of the writer of Hebrews from the 12th chapter. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we are encouraged, we are admonished to keep our eyes on Jesus. So we can say together right now in the midst of this crisis and for all of the future when we face another crisis, I will keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm not going to keep my eyes on a virus. I'm not going to keep my eyes on a, on a politician. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. And I know that as I keep my eyes on him, I am looking at and and looking to a Jesus who loves me and gave his life for me and for you. And he doesn't have anything to prove to me. He's already demonstrated his love for us. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He doesn't have to prove anything to me. I know that he loves me. And so because of that, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus, knowing that he is steadfast. He is a rock. And I will watch him. So those are three things that we can declare, that we can believe, that we can do in advance. Now, now that we're already in the middle of this crisis, we're having to do this from the midst of the crisis if you've not already done it. But also this will prepare us for future crises. I pray there's never another pandemic like this in our lifetime. But there are other kinds of crises. Sometimes they're very private. Sometimes they involve your family. Sometimes they involve a community or a church. But this will help us be prepared for that crisis, whatever it may be. So in the crisis of our time, I will remember God's character. I will trust God's will, and I will keep my eyes on Jesus. Now that leads then to really the third thing. Um, We've looked at the situation, and we've talked about the prior decisions that we're going to make. But let's talk about then the resulting actions the resulting actions. And there are 10 of them. Now, now, don't freeze and say, oh, my word, he's going to talk for another hour. No, I'm not. It won't take long. But there are 10 resulting actions on the basis of what I've just said. And the first is this. I will 
express my grief. I will express my grief. One chapter before the one we read in Matthew 5, the fourth verse, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's a great promise. We don't need to bottle it up. If you are grieved by COVID-19 on a personal level because someone in your family has been affected or just simply the fact of what the virus is doing worldwide, if you are grieved, it is not only okay, but it is good to express it in whatever way is good for you to express grief. It may be weeping, but it also may be reading the laments of the gospel of, of the uh, of the psalms or or simply expressing your grief out loud to God whatever is a way that helps you express grief it is not only okay but it is it is good to do that as we look at the gospels we can think of at least two and probably three occasions when when the scripture tells us that Jesus cried at the death of his good friend Lazarus Jesus wept As Jesus came into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and he looked over the city, he began to weep and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have brought you to me like a chick, like a mother hen gathers her chicks and yet you wouldn't have anything to do with it. And he cried over Jerusalem. And I have little doubt but that Jesus also wept in the Garden of Gethsemane when it says he sweat as it were great drops of blood. And so... If you watch events and you want to weep, you want to lament, you want to grieve, go ahead. It will be good. But you don't want to stay there. You want to move on. And remember what the psalmist said in the 46th Psalm and the first verse. The way to move on in our grief is this. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So we remember that. Now, the second resulting action is, I will not be mad. I will not be mad. A lot of questions being floated around, especially in the last couple of days. How did this start? And what happened in China? And why weren't they more forthcoming in warning their own people and warning the world? And is there a vaccine? And is there a way out? And And it's easy to think about those things and dwell on them and to get mad. In due time, all of these questions will be answered. But it does us no good right now to fret and be angry. It will not make things better for yourself or for those around you. And so we remember what the writer of the Proverbs said in chapter 29, verse 11. Fools give full vent to their rage. But the wise bring calm in the end. So our focus is not on being angry. Our focus is on serving God in these unprecedented days of opportunity. Now the third resulting action is this. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. Remember again the 27th Psalm and the first verse. The Lord is my light and my salvation Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so a resulting action is that we will declare, I will not be afraid because God is with me. And he 
promises that not only in that 27th Psalm, not only in Matthew chapter 6, but all throughout the Bible, he promises that he will be with us. Now, that doesn't mean we're reckless. That doesn't mean that because we're not afraid, I just go, I don't, I don't practice social distancing. I, I don't try to protect myself. I don't care what other people think. I just do what I want to do. No, 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 no. We don't do that. doesn't mean we're reckless. But it does mean we're wise and we're prudent. But also, we're not afraid. We're not afraid. Now, the fourth resulting action is I'll be grateful for what I have. I will be grateful for what I have. Think about it. Do you still have a job? Be grateful. Are you still receiving a paycheck? Whether you're working or not working, are you still receiving a paycheck? Be thankful. Do you still have a roof over your head? Be thankful. Do you have a family close by upon whom you can lean? Be thankful. Are you part of a church that loves you and that you love? Be thankful. Do you still have good health? Be thankful. Do you have Jesus as your Savior? Be exceedingly thankful. In every circumstance, Paul wrote, give thanks. So, be grateful for what you have. Before COVID-19... It was pretty common to hear folks complaining about their job. Ah, my work this, my work that, my boss this, my boss that. Yeah, you know how, you know how it is. Well, I would say right now, let's be very grateful. Very grateful. A lot of us would complain from time to time. I don't have enough time to spend with my family. Well, things have changed. Be thankful, be grateful, and make the most of these precious moments that you have with your family. Folks often complain about health care. Ah, the health care this and the cost this and I can't do that. Okay, we live in the United States of America, most of us who are watching. I am so thankful for the incredible health care that we have here and for our medical folks who are on the front lines of trying to save lives and protect us in the midst of this crisis. Simply saying all of that to say this, I will be grateful for what I have in everything give thanks. Now, the fifth resulting action is this, I will not waste these days. I will not waste these days. We can't wait until this is over. I mean, I'm, it's been a long time since I was able to do a cartwheel. But when this is over, I may give it another try. I can't wait for this to be over. But don't come to that point and then look back and say, I wish I had used the time more wisely. Decide now. I will make the most of these days no matter how long they last. We can certainly work on our spiritual growth, reading the Bible, praying, getting on the church website and taking advantage of all the opportunities that the staff has posted on there. And we can reach out to others. No, I can't walk down the street and go in my neighbor's house. 
But I can walk down the street, call my neighbor and say, come to your front porch, how are you doing? Or do that with a family member. We can call, we can email, we can text, we can even do old-fashioned letter writing on snail mail. All kinds of opportunities are before us to simply express our concern and our care for people that we know and love. So let's decide and practice. I will not waste these days. Number six, resulting action, I will pray with focus. I will pray with focus. In James, the fifth chapter and the 16th verse, it says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, if you think that word righteous person is describing somebody else, if you're a Christian, you've been declared righteous. So I believe James is talking about you. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So a resulting action of where we find ourselves can be this. I will pray with focus. I will pray for my family. I will pray for my church. I will pray for my nation's leaders. I will pray for children, some of whom are having trouble grasping what all's going on. Some are in homes where it isn't safe for them, and they're cooped up with parents who have been abusive and are being abusive. Pray for children. Pray for revival in our land and revival to begin in us and with our church. And then pray for our medical folks who are on the front lines day after day after day and hour after hour. There's so many things upon which we can focus our prayer. And so let's utilize this time to pray with focus. Number seven resulting action, I will hold your hand. I will hold your hand. You say, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor. We're not supposed to do that. What do you mean I will hold your hand? Well, obviously, I'm not speaking literally. But we will hold each other's hands, and spiritually, we will stand together. We love each other. We can do no less. We will pray for one another and uphold one another in every way conceivable. And we will not let circumstances divide us. This could be a warning to the church. We are in the political year. You know what I mean? And I've been watching this and and, and it gravely concerns me. And maybe God's stepping in here and saying, I'm warning you. I don't like what I see. Politics have the potential to be divisive between believers and in a church family, and we've got to be careful. This can serve as a reminder. Our culture has become so uncivil, and not only that, we we no longer seem to be able to disagree with one another with respect and to say, okay, I have my beliefs, you have your beliefs, and we don't agree but I still love you because you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. Our disagreements are causing division, and that is not a good thing. There is power in the unity of the body of Christ. So nobody's asking you to compromise your convictions. No way. But what we are asking you to think about is the unity of the body of Christ and our gentleness and civility with which we treat one another. I remind you of Psalm 133, 
what the psalmist writes in the very first verse. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And then in Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the third verse, where it says, make every effort to keep the the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, I'm very opinionated. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. I've got definite opinions on things political, things national, things local. I've got definite opinions, and I'm not changing my mind. But this is a reminder to me about the way I treat others who may not see things the way I see them, yet they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to be careful that we preserve the unity of the gospel, not only in this political realm, but in all church life, that we not be the one who causes division in the life of church. Now, the eighth resulting action is this. I will come to church. I will come to church. And you're shaking your head and saying, wait a minute, Pastor. You just said hold hands. We can't hold hands. Now you're telling us to come to church when the church is closed. What do you mean? Well, no, we're not ready for you to come back here into the worship center. Not yet. But I will come to church because we know church is not a building. Church is people. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And we need each other. And so we reach out. And though I can't take your hand physically I can take your hand spiritually and I'm saying to you, I love you and I love our church, the body of Christ, and we need each other. So Sunday, we're going to do exactly what you're doing now. Sunday, we're going to gather together as a family or if if you live alone, just yourself, and we're going to watch the worship services. We're going to avail ourselves of the opportunity to go to Sunday school which you can do online. And then during the week, we're going to look at things like virtual discipleship and, and the, the daily encouraging word devotions and all the other things that, that have been placed on, on our church website that can help us to grow as believers. And we're going to remember what the writer of Hebrews said when he said in chapter 10, verse 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are already in the habit of doing. Now, the ninth resulting action is this. I will remember the brevity of life. I will remember the brevity of life. In James, the fourth chapter and, and the fourteenth verse, the writer of James, or Brother James said, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. What, what a vivid reminder of the fact that life is fragile, very fragile, and we're going to remember that, remember the brevity of life. And, and so this is yet another reminder to us. And first of all, I've got to say this. If, if you don't know Jesus, I plead with you, don't wait. Life is fragile. Life is a vapor. Remember the brevity of life. And and so I would say to you, please, today, call out to him. And I'll tell you how to do that in just a minute. But beyond that, to also remember in our own lives and the way we live, remember the brevity of life and what the Holy Spirit's laid on your heart to do, you need to do. Now, that brings us to the tenth resulting action, and it ties in with what I just said. The tenth resulting action is I will listen to the Holy Spirit. I will listen to the Holy Spirit. Believer? He pushes, 
He prompts. He leads all in accordance with Scripture and all for the glory of God and all for that which is best for you and me. And so I will listen to the, to the Holy Spirit and as He prompts, as He leads, as He guides, as He speaks, I will obey. So those are ten resulting actions of, of, of our current situation. And I take you back as I close to the sixth chapter of, of Matthew, those 20, 25 through 34. And those verses say at least these three things. Do not worry. Trust God. And seek God first. Will you do that? Don't worry. Trust God. Seek God first. Now, as I come to the end of my time today, I, I want to say to all who are listening, I have no idea where you are. I'm sure the majority of you are residents of Bell County. You're part of this church family. Or, or you know about our church, and, and so you've, you've tuned in. We thank you for doing that. But there may be others watching from elsewhere in Texas or elsewhere in the United States or even people in other countries. And we're so glad that, that you have joined in with us today. But my question to everybody, and regardless of where you are, is do you know Jesus? Have you given your life to Christ? If you haven't or you're not sure whether you have or not, I, I, I ask you today to do this. Call out to him. Call out to Jesus and simply say to him, Dear Jesus, you are Lord, I ask you today to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life today. And I'm saying to you, Jesus, that I want to follow you from this day forward. And if you'll pray that prayer, if you will make that your declaration, then today you become a follower of Christ. And I hope you'll let us know. See on the screen a phone number or web or, or, or an email address. Let us know because we'd like to get back in touch with you and just simply give you some things that will help you to grow as a Christ follower. Regardless of where you are, please let us know. And I love you. I treasure you. Church, I can't wait to see you back together again. May God bless each of you, keep you safe and strong and healthy. And I want to I want to close our time together with the prayer of benediction that we have agreed to make our benediction uh, from the beginning, our first Sunday where we weren't together, March 15th, until we're able to meet together again. And that is from Jude 24 and 25, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Church, as I said in the sermon, I miss you so much, and I love you, and I appreciate you. Thanks for your faithfulness in praying. I hope you'll take this message to heart today. Uh, We completed our Steps to the Cross uh, last Sunday, Easter Sunday. And so I wanted for this one day to kind of shift gears and for us to... uh, to think about the current situation. I hope it's been an encouragement to you, and, and I hope we will focus on, on our eyes on Jesus and being a blessing to those around us in the best way that we possibly can, given our circumstances. Also, thank you for your faithfulness and stewardship. Keep on keeping on. I know that some of you have lost jobs. 
or you, you're afraid you're going to, and we understand your situation. And, and if there's anything we can do to help, please call us and, and let us know, and we'll do our very best to do that. But for those of you who are able to continue to be a faithful steward of what God's entrusted to you, and, and I thank you. You have you've just been incredible what you've done to this point, and I just ask you to keep on keeping on. Well, God bless you, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. And uh, thank you again for being here today.